Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. We are taking a short break from the series that is covering Dutch Sheets' book, Intercessory Prayer, to discuss his recent Watchman decree. If you missed last week's episode, you might want to go back and hear that one. But we are going to pick up today with the declarations that were made in this video where Dutch Sheets was speaking to this large arena of people. The thing that's interesting with this decree is it's really a summation of new apostolic Reformation teaching. Anything they've taught seems to have made its way into this decree. One of the things that comes up in NAR teaching is this idea of seven mountains, which are seven mountains of influence. What we are going to find as we discuss these declarations today is that each of these fall into one of the seven mountains of influence. So just to have this in mind, here's the seven mountains, okay? The first is education, the second, religion, the third, family, the fourth, business, the fifth, government, the sixth, arts and entertainment, and the seventh is media. So those seven things are what they believe to be the seven mountains of influence that Christians need to control. So in your studies on this, have you found anything on the seven mountains of influence? I think it's a a newer version of what's been there all along. Okay. People need to remember that this movement began centuries ago and not particularly in America. Right. So uh, in the article that I wrote about this um, some years ago, here we have uh, issue 103, the roots and fruits of the new apostolic reformation. I wrote that in 2007. And this began, really the first one to articulate this was Jane Lead, who was a 17th century mystic. Okay. And she had the same idea of Christ not being able to come back back until there's a perfected church on earth that's worthy for Christ, and we have to be perfected before Christ uh, comes. Okay. So now it ended up being transferred into America here. Right. And again, the article covers the principal people who teach this and what their doctrines are. Yes, and we actually have a video version of that, too, the Roots and Fruits of the New Apostolic Reformation that you can find on the YouTube channel. So there is a lot more information there than what we can go into today. The thing to keep in mind is that they assume the church has authority over things that really only belong to God. Yes, and that's very obvious. We talked about last week that they're claiming that the Great Commission means that we're supposed to dominate civil government. And therefore, we have to make everything Christianized or Christian and make these decrees that'll be supposedly binding and powerful. 
They can script things that have only to do with the church and take them for themselves and then utter these words that are supposedly going to be enforced on the nation or nations. And another thing we noticed in the more modern versions of this is that America becomes the new covenant nation. Right. Absolutely. And we can really see that in these declarations. Right. And I've noticed myself that some will say, well, Israel's important, but really America is the covenant nation. And that came out, we talked about it last week. It comes out in their preamble to this decree. So we've talked about that a number of times. So what do you have here? Dominion theology, latter rain doctrine, that's now called New Apostolic Reformation, a claim that we're going to have a perfected church that somehow resolves the various problems that we're facing, and that until we reach our destiny, Christ is held in the heavens until he can't come back. Right, which should just be a shocking claim. Right, and he's not coming back for the church. It's our job to be here and take dominion. Now, this is not new. We've talked about this. In the 80s, there was a version of this that Earl Polk wrote a book called Held in the Heavens Until. They had a big meeting in Georgia, very similar to this. Okay. That was in the 80s. Well, that ended with a bunch of scandals and it dispersed and went nowhere. Now it's different versions coming back up with different principles, people promoting it. It's the same idea. All right. So on on with this idea of America as a covenant nation. So here's the first several of these declarations that came from Dutch Sheets. Okay, number one, we decree that America's executive branch of government will honor God and defend the Constitution. Number two, we decree that our legislative branch, Congress, will write only laws that are righteous and constitutional. Number three, we decree that our judicial system will issue rulings that are biblical and constitutional. Now, is this even how decrees work? Can we just make these statements and presume that they're going to come true? Of course not. That's amazing in its audacity. Yes. And last week we mentioned at the beginning, it says because of our covenant with God, we are equipped and delegated by him to destroy every attempted advance of the enemy. So then they make the declaration. So the underlying assumption is that the persons who are such as Dutch Sheets and his cohorts are declaring that there's some covenant with God that has to do particularly with America that we can't find anywhere in the Bible. That's right. And we, we, we don't find America in the Bible. No. And the, what happens, by the way, if, as what we're doing here, we're saying, this is really bad, this is unbiblical, it's, it's from the latter rain movement, and it has nothing to do with what the Bible prophesies, but some will say, well, therefore, you must be in cohorts with the liberals and you want all this wickedness, which is totally false. 
Right. We believed that God saves people out of darkness and transferred them into the kingdom of his beloved son. And the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians 1, 13, 14, isn't bound by a certain territorial government or national boundaries. Right. Okay. And that's so important to understand, though, because we do seem to have this myth of the Christian nation. Yes, because as a matter of fact, the, we live in a fallen world. And right. I noticed in my research on the New Apostolic Reformation and before that, the latter rain movement, the fact is that they claim that perfection is possible now. And so as long as there's problems, it's proof that the church is failing. Wow. So then rather than the existence of problems showing just that we live in a fallen, sinful world, the existence of problems are proof that the church has failed? Is, is that kind of what they're getting at? I understand the whole idea of held in the heavens until. Okay. Went back to Earl Polk's false teaching from the 80s. This is what New Apostolic Reformation and before that, what was called the Latter Rain Movement, based on allegorization of the rains in Israel and some allegorizations of other ideas in the Old Testament, such as the Feast of Tabernacles and so on. Now, you take ideas like that, claim that we have to have a perfected church and that it's our duty to rule over nations now, which is not true, and changing the Great Commission to something it's not, changing okay. the definition of the church to something it's not, taking one nation, America, and declaring that that's where the kingdom of God is going to be established, and so on, and then changing what intercessory prayer means changing what it means to be a sinner saved by grace uh, and what it means to be a Christian and changing the definition of the church, you end up with this. Right. And really, it looks like and sounds like it's supposed to be good conservative Christianity, but the basic implications, if you look at it, aren't that different than the emergent church. That's a good point. Let's discuss that a little bit. Some listeners might not be familiar with some of your work on the emergent church, but your book was really brought to light that their one unifying principle that kind of held this loose association together was their eschatology. Exactly. And that things are going to get better and better without uh, future judgment. And that if we look around and see the kingdom of God, join it, and do what Jesus would do. Their version of it is liberal. Okay. Right. And so mm -hmm. we're in keeping with those who think that judgment's coming because we're not a welcoming people. We have too many categories. We're not allowing, you know, the other to, in other words, open the borders. Everything should be just evolving into some kingdom of God on earth without future judgment. And so their okay. idea of a future utopia is a socialist um, erase the boundaries, homosexual marriage, that's their agenda. 
And now we have a hyperconservative okay. one that claims is the, the opposite idea, that we're going to decree the end of the things that those who are dreaming for that kind of a future uh, panentheistic Hegelian synthesis, as we wrote about. So what are people going to believe? We're preaching the gospel and telling people to repent and trust in Christ alone, the unique one, the holy one, the God incarnate, the very creator. And here they're looking out there. Let's say you're not on either side of this in the sense of okay. decrees like we're reading here or being in the emergent church. But you're trusting Christ in praying, as we showed in the Lord's Prayer, for the return of Christ. And then both groups are saying, no, you're ridiculous. The right. says paradise is going to evolve eventually on earth if we start erasing boundaries. And the other group says, no, until we take dominion and we make our decrees and we become the manifested sons of God, which is a new order of the latter rain doctrine, we become the perfected church. Christ can't come back for us. And so people that we evangelize, what are they to think? Should I go join the emergent church or should I join the group decreeing the destruction of the other sort of ideas and set themselves up in power? Right. What are and, we and that's why understanding eschatology matters. The first chapter in the book I wrote about the emergent church was on eschatology. Yes. It really matters. It always matters. That's true. Make it simple. To make it really simple. The panentheistic, we're going to evolve into godhood. The boundaries need to be erased. We're supposed to feel guilty about things that are just ordinary human things. Right. Are down the road. Okay, so that's all evolving into some future utopia, but it's the people who resisted are the problems. And then you have these decrees claiming that we are setting ourselves up to determine the destiny of nations. And yes. our vision of this covenant with God is the one that's the real one. And we're going to decree things and have somehow the manifested bride of Christ on the earth before Christ returns. Yes. And he can't come back until we get it straightened out. This, both are wrong. Right. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Okay. So where is forgiveness of sins? Where is the blood atonement? Emergence says we're, it's absurd to even talk about that. Yes. Because sin is not getting with the whole process of spiritual evolution. The other Well, and one of them even came right out and said uh, uh, penal substitution was cosmic child abuse. Right. And so I don't know that Dutch Sheets and company can see what the problem is, but neither Sheets and his apostolic cohorts or emergent with Doug Paget and Tony Jones and Brian McLaren and their moral spiritual evolution, their racist categories, neither one are defining the church biblically. 
Right. And that's important. They start this decree saying, uh, as a patriot of faith, I attest my allegiance first and foremost to the kingdom of God and the Great Commission. Yet there's nothing about the Great Commission in here unless they've completely redefined what the Great Commission is. Well, they have, and that's exactly what went on with various versions of this. The the Dominion Theology, um, somebody wrote a book cr- critiquing that, calling it Dominion is Ours. Okay. So they're going to have kingdom now and take dominion. They're going, And there's so many versions of it. But the simple gospel uh, is about Christ, who he is, what he did, why we need him, and the forgiveness of sins, and his people gathering and praying and learning the Bible and helping people understand the truth and caring for one another. Right. This is so bad. And maybe they don't realize that there's yet a third version of this. I wrote a, that's the seeker moment. Okay. Uh, right. Hey, I was at a meeting where uh, to research this and a whole auditorium was full of people from all around the world, very just as charged up as not quite as intense as the people I saw in the video with this uh, Seven Mountain Mandate meeting. Okay. They were going to have a three-legged stool, government, church, and um, business, and solve the world's problem and have some sort of utopia about before the return of Christ. That fizzled out. Right. Turned to nothing. The emergent, it's not going to happen because it isn't biblical. Yeah. Neither is this. Right. No matter how many times it fails, Earl Polk and the Dominionist flopped. Yep. Okay. William Branham, another one of the um, New Apostolic people, the uh, latter rain, heretic, okay. denied to Trinity, and his claims he died in 1965, and that didn't happen. This doesn't happen because it's not biblical. So let's just focus on this. Who makes decrees according to the Bible? Ah, God does. Yes, through his real prophets. And that have been given once for all revelation. Yes. Okay. Now, we, when we were preparing for this series, we had talked a little bit about Daniel 9 because that's such a good example of God making a decree. And that is an eschatological passage. So maybe we can take a few minutes and just walk through that a little bit. And we can show when God makes a decree, it comes to pass. When man makes a decree, it may or may not happen, but if it does, it's coincidence. Yeah, God is ruling providentially over all things, but they misinterpret that as well. Yes. Um, Okay, so in Daniel 9, um, it it starts with verse 20. It says here, Daniel 9, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel— doesn't say okay. it, does it? No, oh, nope. Oh. Israel, 
and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God. While I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction and talked to me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. Verse 23, at the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are hardly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. What is it? The 70 weeks. Okay. 70 weeks. Here it yeah. is, verse 24. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people in your holy city. Stop right there. There's a real decree. Gabriel, okay. a real angel from God, not somebody that visited heaven like some of the people have done in recent centuries and decades. This was a real angel who really did speak to a real prophet, Daniel. 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern from the issue of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again. So I think we mentioned that. And that is bringing us up to Christ's triumphal entry. So that's the first advent, which issued in yes. his ascension into heaven. Then after the 62 weeks, which would be after also the previous seven, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Yes. So that happened in 70 AD. Messiah ascended to heaven and fulfillment, Psalm 110 and verse 1. And its end will come with the flood, even to the end there will be war, desolations are determined. I'm just doing part of this. He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and on the wing of abominations. That's just part of that. But the point is, the 70th week is the tribulation period. Okay. That's what is decreed. We are in the church age. Yes. So what these uh, dominionists and New Apostolic Reformation, latter reign, whatever term is given over the years, are saying is that that's, that Jesus is held in the heavens. He can't come back until all these other things happen and we have our own perfected bride and our own dominion, and Christ is not going to come back. Which is just shocking. You know, that. so all that you just read through, up until the 70th week, everything that God himself decreed through Gabriel to Daniel actually came to pass. Right. The 69 weeks were literal, based in, you can look at Harold Honer's work and many others have written about this. And the period between the time that Jesus ascended to heaven and we know that the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, but that wasn't 
uh, that was also prophesied and predicted in the New Testament. But then at the end, we don't know how long the church age goes on. Right. Okay. We believe, and this I believe is biblical, that we're to preach the gospel to every person, every nation, every group, anywhere. And that God will save people and add them to the church and built on the foundation of the real apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And that that will go on for an indeterminate time. And it's not depending on us becoming perfected or have some other nation that's not even mentioned in the Bible to be the kingdom of God so that everybody else will come and say, well, look at that. They have the kingdom of God in America, and therefore, maybe we can have it here, too. Okay. Pity had that idea. Somehow, we work harder, the millennium will come to America. This is all fantasy and unbelief. Yes. And it doesn't help the gospel. It doesn't give glory to God. It doesn't help people have better lives now like they claim it's going to. It's confusion. And it creates guilt and uh, hopelessness because these movements fail. They always fail. Right. Okay. And and I don't know what's going to happen two months from now, a year from now, or what have you. I don't know. Okay. I don't know how long it'll go on. But I do know that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I do know that every single person needs forgiveness of sins. And I do know that claiming that some pagan nation has a covenant with God that God never agreed to, that God never initiated, and that somehow the blood atonement is about some geopolitical entity that was unknown in the times of the Bible. Right. That is unbelievable. But yet, having read this, I can see where it comes from. It's been around for a long time. Notice, we decree, we decree, we decree, we declare. Uh, we take back our God-given freedoms. All that's, you know, if you're, uh, it's, it's worthy to have debate about good and evil and to be good citizens. Yes. Okay? I'm not saying that you can't say this stuff is wrong. This is not what we want. This is not how we want to raise our children. This is not what we believe. Okay. I believe in debating ideas. Yes. But they're not debating ideas. They're declaring that they have the covenant. They're right. They have dominion. And they're decreeing what will happen. Right. Which they can't even know. Well, their ideas are based on a false eschatology, just like the emergent church, churches, social gospel, uh, liberal ideas are based on false eschatology. Yep. They're different, but they're both false eschatology. Right. Okay. So you go down the street and you see the, what they talk about wokeness here. Mm-hmm. I had an old friend call that. God bless him, a, a brother Oral Steinkamp. We, yes. In fact, the first conference that we had 
about the New Apostolic Reformation. Oral was one of the speakers. Okay. Godly man who him and his uh, Jenny were missionaries mm -hmm. in Vietnam. He was, they were some of the last to leave Vietnam. They were missionaries in Australia. He called, he's very elderly and weak, but he got through it. He said, what is wokeness? Right. Well, it's the new version of liberalism. It's certainly more extreme. Yeah. In categories. But how do you defeat it? Well, Oral didn't believe that the new apostolic reformation was correct. He, in fact, we had a conference to stand against it. Right. So think about this. What's the significance of the blood atonement? Okay. It's, it's certainly not uh, defeating wokeness or taking control of our country. Does the blood atonement apply to a geopolitical entity like America that's mostly people who aren't serving God? Right, it doesn't. No, what's the blood atonement about? I, I looked up the new covenant of my blood here, Luke twenty two twenty, and in the same way he took a cup after they'd eaten, saying, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Okay. Hebrews 9, you can look that up. We're, I know we're about out of time. Hebrews 9, 15. The new covenant is a reference to Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Um, let me just read this one. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place, for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of eternal life. And then it talks about the cleansing of blood. Verse 22, Hebrews 9. According to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. And so looking forward to the future, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this so often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Who does that apply to? Those who believe in Jesus Christ and him alone. Here's another one. We decree that the blood of Jesus covers and protects our nation. Wow. So does the blood of Jesus cover every wicked thing going on in this pagan nation? No. And, you know, to think that they can just decree that the blood of Jesus covers the nation and it will just be so is ridiculous. Well, that is precisely why Messiah was rejected at the end of the 69 weeks that were really decreed by a real prophet. Yes. A real uh authority from God, okay, because he did die and shed his blood. Yeah. And they didn't want a Messiah who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. They wanted a conquering Messiah who would defeat Rome. Right. Dear ones, please don't be deceived. So one group is saying God has no wrath against sin. He just wants us to become enlightened about the new panentheistic God in everything evolving into 
some sort of a paradise without judgment, emergent. The other group is declaring that the blood covers a certain nation as if it's the only one that matters. Okay. That's how can anyone live in this and see these two crazy ideas that are so extreme and think, well, what is Christianity anyhow? Right. No wonder people are confused. Of course, because we're not preaching clearly the terms of the gospel. Yes. And so if you're hearing this, don't give up. Turn to Christ for forgiveness of sins. Yes. What we need to do is to be sober-minded, do what the Bible says. We do pray for civil authorities. We're told to do that. We have promises. And we want to, I want to talk next week about the roots of this, why this comes out. We don't have to be the perfected Elijah company, uh, many-membered man-child, uh, purified, perfected church, and um, have that status being better than any Christians that ever were before Christ thinks we're worth bringing to be with him. I want to talk about that. That's false. Our hope isn't depending on being part of some group at the end of history that's better than everybody else that's ever been a Christian. We'll talk about that. Don't believe it. Trust Christ. Believe the word of God. And God will use us in his church and to be evangelists throughout the world by preaching the gospel. Okay, we are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years worth of articles at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week.